Hey everybody, welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. Uh, as usual, I'm Jay, and today, very special day, I'm actually here with um, Dan Kimball, who is the director of the Regeneration Project. Hey Dan. Hello. How are you? I'm as good as I can be. <laughs> and today we are chatting with uh, someone who's been a longtime dear friend and ministry partner of Dan's, Kara Powell. Hi, Kara. Hey, it's great to be here with y'all. Kara is the executive director of the Fuller Youth Institute, which many of you know. She's also a faculty member at Fuller Theological Seminary, my alma mater. Um, and she's a youth family strategist for Orange and speaks all over the place, has written several books, many books, which many of you know. And her newest book um, is called Growing With, and uh, it offers some really helpful paradigm shifts, I think, in terms of how we think about teenagers and young adults in what is an extremely challenging time for a variety of reasons. So we're going to get into all of that today. But um, first, I want to start <clears throat> by asking the two of you, because you guys have known each other. Kara was just saying before we hit record, you guys have known each other for almost 20 years yeah, and uh, have been doing all sorts of ministry things together. Talk a little, how'd you guys first meet? What, what ministry things have you done in the past that are some highlights for you? Talk about your relationship. Well, first, I just got to say, I don't see how over the course of 20 years, I end up looking older and Dan looks exactly the same. So I don't get how that happens. Uh, it's Diet Coke. <laughs> oh, is that the secret? Yep, okay. Diet Coke. The last time I saw you was in, oh, it was at one of the YS uh, events before it went Probably. to one. It's been wonderful watching you and your faithfulness to Jesus over the years and what I like about this book is that it's so fascinating because young, 20 years ago, uh, I was married, no children. Then you have children and you're working with youth, serving with youth. And then all of a sudden, now I have, we have teenagers. And all of right. a sudden, I'm now reading these things and paying attention to it as a parent of teens. And it was a really right. weird thing here at this church. I don't know if you've experienced this where we, I got up into the, the youth, I did something, we have, a, we have a youth director, but got up at the meeting, and it was a parents' meeting, and I look out, and there is five different uh, uh, parents who were once teenagers in the youth group <laughs> who now have teenagers of their own in our church. And then I'm, that's what I'm like, what just happened to uh, yep. time? Well, that was like five years ago, wasn't it? But nice. it was a uh, yeah. But this is what I really when we talk about the book today, so needed as a parent now because even as a parent having served with youth for all those years, it is such a different time period, and so that's why I appreciate what you're doing all the more. Yeah, Kara, talk about uh, maybe the heart behind the book. Why um, it's just such a different time for teenagers. H how is it different today? Uh, what are some of the unique challenges that you see for teenagers today uh, that we didn't see in the past? Yeah, well, if you look around at, at teenagers today, I, I think many of us would feel like they're growing up so quickly. They're exposed to so much. They're so familiar with so much in culture, largely thanks to technology. I feel like so many teenagers know um, and are familiar with things that, that I came to know like in college. So one of the things that Steve Argue and I say in the book Growing With is that 14 is the new 24, that a 14-year-old in many ways seems like a 20-something in what they know. 
But simultaneously, in the midst of this, this gas pedal with teenagers, there's this kind of brake pedal with young adults. If you look at census data, the average 20-something is getting married five years later, having babies five years later, becoming financially independent later, finishing school later. So they're, they're hitting the traditional markers of uh, adulthood approximately five years later. And so what we also say is 28 can feel like the new 18. Um, and so in the midst of thinking about this young person who's got one foot on the gas pedal, one foot on the brake pedal, you know, if, if you've ever tried driving that way, that's a pretty herky-jerky ride. Um, and that's how it feels for today's young people. And that's how it feels for today's parents who are trying to journey alongside, journey with their young people. Um, it's both fast and slow at the same time, and that's confusing. And so we wanted to take the best research that exists on families and faith, as well as pair that with 75 interviews we did with amazing parents and offer a guide that could help parents who really want to journey alongside their teenager 20 something and aren't always sure how. You know, one of the um, paradigm shifts you offer in the book Growing With, uh, you talk about, and this is interesting to me because I, I typically, I think most people typically think about the categories of, you know, post childhood pre full-blown adulthood in two yeah. categories there's teenagers and then there's young adults you actually divide the age range into like three stages talk talk more about that yeah well jay you're a fuller alum and so you know that fuller has three schools we have our school of theology where i'm an alum and a faculty member our school of psychology and our school of intercultural studies and one of the things i've i've loved doing is combining the insights of all three schools and realizing that, that really there's three stages for teenagers and young adults today, not just two. And so we'll start with that 13 to 18 year old stage, what we tend to think of as a high school student. Um, Steve Argue and I, we refer to that stage as a learner. Um, that's a young person who's going through incredible growth, um, physically, uh, emotionally, relationally, intellectually, spiritually. And all that growth brings about new questions, new opportunities, new relationships. So that's age 13 to 18. Then somewhere around age 18, and these, you know, these ages can vary individually, but around age 18, that learner transitions into the second stage that we call being an explorer. And that's from age 18 to around age 23. And an explorer is moving away from home or home-oriented routines. They're exploring new paths, related to education, training, workforce, military. Um, they're excited about the future that's ahead of them, but they're also kind of nervous because of all the opportunities and because of the newness that stretches out in front of them. And then sometime around age 23, we think young people transition into the third stage, which is being a focuser. And we think this lasts from age 23 to about age 28, 29. And a focuser has made significant choices when it comes to education, vocation, relationships, their faith, um, which has closed some opportunities off, opened up some additional opportunities. Um, so some focusers feel really ahead of the game a lot of focusers feels real, feel really behind and maybe are experiencing some regrets. And so, you know, thinking about a learner, explorer, focuser, each of those stages then almost demands a different response from us as parents or as leaders to think about what that young person needs. 
Uh, I want to ask you specifically for those who are listening who are serving in the local church. Yeah. Because typically, this is true in our church, uh, where Dan and I serve together, typically you have two ministries yeah. focusing on what classically have been understood as two age categories, the right. teenagers and young adults. You have a youth ministry, and then maybe you have a college young adult ministry. What sort of implications do you think this sort of new understanding ha- might have for church leaders and how we think about uh, ministry in the local church, especially for churches? There's 90% of churches in America that are, you know, like a couple hundred people or smaller. They don't yeah. have the budget necessarily to say, let's just hire a full-time staff person. That's great for all these categories. What sort of implications ministry-wise do you think this has for how we think about local church ministry? Well, I'm glad you asked about that kind of 18 to 29-year-old age range, because while they make up 17% of the U.S. population, according to the last U.S. census, they're only 10% of U.S. churchgoers. So they're very underrepresented in our churches today. Um, You know, the very first recommendation I would make is Please, leaders, talk to the young people in your churches and in your communities. Listen to them. Empathize with what they're going through. Um, you know, I, we think that young people are asking three big questions. Identity, who am I? Belonging, where do I fit? And purpose, what difference do I make? Um, and they're looking to all sorts of different sources to answer those questions. And, and only Jesus Um, Only Jesus and Jesus-centered answers ultimately answer those questions. But the way that, you know, young people are answering those questions in Santa Cruz is different from the ways that young people are answering those questions in Pasadena, where I live, which is different from Pennsylvania, which is different than Texas. And so my very first recommendation to leaders is to please stop, listen, and empathize with the leaders in your community. Um, I can't tell you how many times people from our team at the Full Youth Institute have gone to churches, well-intentioned churches, well-intentioned leaders, where leaders are saying, well, here's what we're thinking about doing for 19-year-olds or for 24-year-olds. And then we say, well, have you talked to any college-age folks about that? Or have you talked to any young people about that? Um, And usually the answer is no. So we're trying to end churches moving forward without talking to young people first. So, So honestly, that's the very first recommendation that I would make is talk to young people. But then as hinted at by, um, by both the census data and by our three categories, you know, I think we need to rethink some of the traditional ways we've thought about uh, the ministries we need to offer. A lot of churches are offering youth ministry and then there are, and then, you know, kind of everything else is 18 plus. Um, and maybe they need to offer some specialized ministries and, and community gatherings even for 18 to 23, 23 to 29. Um, but again, it varies community by community. It varies based on the population in your town. And so really look at your town, look at your community and figure out what your pe- young people are hungry for. Yeah, what was interesting is we started this church, and this is when I knew you back then. It was yep. uh, 15 years ago we started Vintage Faith Church, and it was primarily young adults that started the church. 15 years later, all of a sudden, like it is that sense like we don't want to be 
the the young adult church that started and then all of a sudden we're aging and aging and then like where are the young adults mm-hmm. yeah and so it was an interesting couple of years ago realizing we don't want that to happen and uh, we just put more emphasis back on young adults even though it was ironically what we kind of started with and to this day right now i still um, it's led pretty much by others, but I'm um, in a group of co-ed college age every single Tuesday night. So I never lose listening to what, what who they are, what their questions are, uh, and everything else, because I could easily start seeing forgetting that, or what they used to think 15 years ago is what they think today. And so it forces me to you know, give up a night a week. It's not giving up. I love being there. But as a leader, to constantly be listening like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Dan, I love how you're personally prioritizing young people and how your church prioritizes young people. And in a a parallel study we did called Growing Young, we studied churches that aren't aging or shrinking, but are doing great work with teenagers and young adults. And we were able to isolate six characteristics that these churches had in common. And the way that they prioritize young people was one of those characteristics. And, and you know, I will say as a researcher, I went in with a bias that, well, if these churches prioritize young people, then surely somebody loses out. I mean, that just mathematically makes sense, right? If you give more resources to young people, then some other age group is going to get the short end of the stick. Um, and I was pretty ruthless in the interviews we did, the surveys we did, the conversations with lead pastors and senior pastors asking, you know, when you prioritize teenagers and young adults, who loses out? And I mean, by far the common answer was nobody loses out. When we prioritize young people, everybody gains. And as one senior pastor said, you know, if you think of your church resources like a pie, if you give young people a bigger slice of the pie, it's not like somebody else gets a smaller slice of the pie. It's like the whole pie grows. Um, And I think that's part of the kind of magnifying multiplication potential of teenagers and young adults that a lot of churches and communities are missing out on. So I love, Dan, how it's in your rhythms to be engaged every week and your church continues to prioritize that. Even as some of you are getting a little bit older, you're continuing to prioritize that. That's awesome. Yeah, just, I mean, uh, I want to do get back to parents because of this book and the importance of this, but something that I thought about you with this was two weeks ago, we just baptized 10 University of California Santa Cruz students. And, uh, and it was not because of the music or because of a uh, program. We have an older couple in their 50s. They're retired early. And they devote themselves to this group of students on campus. And they love them, befriend them, meet with them. And that is what causes this great growth. And that's what, what I love about church is then you have the older generations truly pouring into the younger and you're seeing that as a result. And and that's really setting up our church cultures for that. You need all ages. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite quotes from this Growing Young study we did was a senior pastor who said, you know, when it comes to young people today, warm is the new cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, how do we offer warm relationships to young people? Because that's ultimately what triumphs over and what is more important than the coolness factor of any leader or any church. And by the way, my teenagers would say just the fact that I use the word cool means I'm not cool. So I've <laughs> automatically disqualified myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's okay, because I can still be warm. So, yeah, I think that's such a huge point that has ramifications for parenting and especially church leadership 
it's uh, we were talking before we pressed record about some of these ideas, especially with um, where, you know, in the digital age where we've we've sort of leveraged a lot of our energy and attention. We don't call it this, but in our churches, if we're really honest, we've tried to put so much emphasis on being really cool, really hip. And all of your research is showing that the stuff that really resonates with younger generations has very little to do with what it sounds like or what it looks like. It has more to do with, I love that thought that warm is the new cool, the sense of belonging and acceptance. Um, Talk a little more about that. You you have these three specific verbs that you mention Mm -hmm. in the book about what is happening with um, young people and new generations withing, faithing, and adulting. Yeah. Um, obviously, we want people to read the book so you know they can get more there. But just give us a general sort of overview and w- what sort of implications those key verbs, those key actions have for the way we think about both parenting and serving in our local churches. Sure. Well, I'm glad you mentioned withing first um, because it actually builds so well on this idea of warmth. Um, and and within, I, I, I'll spell it out because it sometimes is easy to misunderstand, W-I-T-H-I-N-G. So we've taken the preposition with and made it a verb. And it's a verb we made up. Um, and what it stands for is the way that a family continues to grow in interdependence, even as your kid matures. And I'll tell you, um, you know, Jay, your kids are younger, but I'm sure Dan and I are seeing and in many ways celebrating how our kids are becoming independent. But at the same time, it can be hard as a parent. Um, and you know, one of the things that I think parents fear is that as their kids grow up, they're gonna grow apart as a family. And so that's where we wanted to cast a vision for Withing, which, is, uh, uh, which allows a parent's support of a young person to continue to evolve and adapt even as that young person is maturing and even as that young person in some ways kind of kicks away from them and in developmentally appropriate ways um so you know i i've had to experience even with my own teenagers times when they've they've moved away from me and then my question is to myself as a mom i I love the phrase from lisa damore and we quote this in our our book um can i be the wall that my kids need to be and, and I grew up swimming, so I think about a swimming pool wall. And, you know, as my kids push away from me, um, it can leave me feeling dent and cracked and bruised and hurt. Um, and can I be that unconditional wall of support that my kids can come back to um, because they know that I am there for them? In fact, I was just recently, a couple weeks ago, I was, I was praying about what do I really want in my relationship with my kids? You know, apart from their faith, I have certainly different, I have a lot of things I want for my kids and, and how they impact the world and how they know and serve Jesus and all that. But when it comes to my relationship with them, what I ultimately want is I want, I want to be a safe place for them and I want them to want to be with me. Like if I can just distill it into two simple things, I want to be a safe place and I want them to want to be with me. Those two qualities lie at the heart of withing, which allows our family to evolve even as our kids are maturing and moving away from us in independence. I want to hear you talk a little bit about maybe the other two verbs. Talk talk about faithing and uh, specifically, you know, there's all this fear (laughs) that new generations are growing increasingly irreligious 
And there's all sorts of statistics out there that strike fear in the hearts of church leaders all the time. It's like, oh, churches are dying and whatever. But talk about faithing um, and and the implications that it has for parenting, but also for for church leadership in the local church. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. So faithing is another verb, but not one that we made up. It originally came from another researcher, Stephen Dolos Parks. Um, and you know, stating the obvious, it is a verb. And while faith is certainly a noun in scripture, Steve Argue and I love also thinking about it as a verb because that implies that it's evolving and growing and stretching and changing. And, you know, other research indicates that a lot of what we see in young people when it feels like um, they're, say, quote, losing their faith, end quote, a lot of times what they're doing is actually moving away from their perceptions of institutionalized religion. And Dan, you, of course, wrote a book on this. Um, more than it is that they're moving away from their faith per se. So I think as a parent, it's really important to try to distinguish, is my young person or a mentor, is, is this young person moving away from even some toxic aspects of organized Christianity um, that that maybe should be moved away from, um, or are they actually moving away from faith? And one of the things we talk about in our Growing With book um, are two great questions, and I love asking my teenagers these questions. And the questions are, um, what do you no longer believe about life and faith that you think I still do believe? And then what do you now believe about life and faith that you think I don't believe? And sometimes when I ask these questions, you know, my kids have really nothing to say. Um, my 18 and 16 year olds in particular. And other times when I ask these questions, they have a lot to say. Um, not so much about orthodox, I'll put in quotes, orthodox Christian beliefs, but more say cultural issues that, that they're wrestling with. Um, but I would so much rather have the conversation with them in the spirit of faithing that we're all evolving and growing um, than to have them be wrestling in silence. So I love the idea of faithing as a verb because it gives us freedom to share our journeys and to admit that faith is a journey in and of itself. It's, it's not a static noun, it's a verb. Yeah, well, I think two things have happened in my lifetime of experience to use that term of observing one is what Kara is saying is that I think what Kara has been saying for a long time is that so much of youth ministry was based on the, the not just the program because we do we still do a lot of program but it was an assumption that that is was the most important thing and not the intergenerational relationships mm -hmm. yeah. and Kara has been a voice and that has I think risen up much more because the relational part of of things is it always has been important but i think it's more important than ever today mm. and so i think that is a, a huge change but i'd say the other one is and i think about this all the time is it's so confusing not just for teenagers but just for christians in general i think parents this is probably what i would like to ask Kara about with the parenting part i think over it depends on what stream of christianity you're part of mm -hmm. some were very in your churches, you were theologically minded and in, more intense about, you know, what do you believe and why? Other, I, mean, I think a majority of churches were more like, I want to just survive life. And so here's how the Bible gives some guidance to practical living. And what has, I think, a wave, like a tsunami has come through of 
so many different opinions and information is available. Theology is, um, what's the word, not in the forefront of many churches, and therefore you have parents who don't know what they believe as strongly, and yeah. then it goes down to their kids that then don't know. So yeah. I think it's the, you know, parents, if anything, also need to be really modeling faith, but also kind of knowing what they believe all the more. I mean, you wrote yeah. a couple of years ago when you wrote those two books, you know, about what can I ask that, right? That was, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, like you, you forced, you, are, you already saw that coming to try to get the kids talking. And I think the parents are, um, I've talked to a couple of ones that abandoned faith and they'll say their parents couldn't ask, answer the questions and that really affected them. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just thinking about this panel that we did with young adults at Fuller Seminary recently when the question was asked, um, you know, what does the church need to talk about more in order to be more relevant to young people? And the first young adult, 20 something, grabbed the mic and said, well, I think there are three things the church needs to highlight more. Um, Gender identity, race and mental health, that those are three things we need to be talking about more in our churches. Um, and there's a lot of questions that are tough with those with those three topics. And having you know having a 12th grade son, who, and I've done a lot of I've done a lot of college campus tours, including just yesterday. Every college campus is talking about those questions. Every college campus is asking resources, you know, is offering resources on those questions. And so I want the church to be a place where we can talk about those things too, and ask questions about those topics as well as anything in scripture or life. Talk about the final verb. It's a yes, it's thanks, a familiar Jay. one. Such a good job keeping us on track. <laughs> this is this um, is a word so, people know. Adulting. Uh, yes, but exactly. Give us your definition. Yeah, you know, this is something we see on social media, and young people wear shirts that say, "I'm hashtag adulting." Um, we define adulting as our child's growth in agency as they embrace opportunities to shape the world around them. Um, and, you know, I'm thrilled, by the way, teenagers and young adults already are and certainly can even more so shape the world around them. And in our book, we look at that in two different facets. The first is relational adulting, friendship and dating. But the second, and this is what I want to focus on a little bit more in depth, is um, vocational adulting. And in particular, the role that serving tends to play in young people's ongoing understanding of what God's called them to be about and how God wants them to use their gifts. And this is such a great opportunity, whether you're a parent or a leader or a young person yourself. I mean, I can't tell you how many young people we talk to who in the midst of wondering what, what is God calling me to? What, what's my future career, et cetera. You know, it was the volunteering they did in the neighborhood nonprofit that showed them how much they love tutoring. And now they're a teacher. It was the volunteering they did in their churches, um, technical ministry that showed them how much they love technology. And now that's their field. And so, you know, this is one of the great opportunities the church has for young people is to offer opportunities to serve and then pair young people with mentors who can help them process, you know, are the ramifications from this service to your long-term career and gifts and passions and how God might want to use you and how God's wired you. So that was one of the really exciting highlights and opportunities uh, for parents and churches alike in the midst of young people's adulting journeys. I love that. I think that's such a practical way for uh, parents, but also church leaders to think about leveraging the opportunities we have in our 
week-to-week interactions in, in local church ministry with young people um, and partnering with them in adulting. Um, as we wrap up, Kara, maybe can you give just a, a word of encouragement or challenge um, to the people listening, whether they're parents or church leaders, uh, as they're thinking about reaching and serving and guiding younger generations, what sort of one thing you would want to say to them? And as challenging as my job at Fuller Seminary is, it's a piece of chocolate cake compared to parenting my teenagers. And don't get me wrong, I love my kids, but parenting teenagers is really tough. Um, What I want to tell parents is you are the parent God intends for your child. Nobody knows your child like you. Nobody loves your child like you. And we have so many stories as well as great data showing relationship with your children will improve. Um, life after 18, if you're in the middle of adolescence and it's a time of conflict or, or just, um, busyness even just know that the typical family experiences better relationships. And so I I just want to offer that hope to parents in terms of mentors and, and pastors and, and leaders, I'm biased here, but I think, you know, the greatest, the greatest hope for our country is the church. Um, we've got a presidential election not too far away, and I intend to be active and I intend to vote. My hope isn't in our president. My hope is in our church. Um, and, and I will say I think the greatest hope for our church is in our young people. So I just invite leaders to think about the energy and time and thought they're giving young people and to remember that you know, what we found is when you give young, young people a bigger piece of the pie, the entire pie grows. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Where can people find not just growing with, but uh, you have so much work out there that's incredibly helpful, um, not oh, only data driven, but um, so many stories that are both encouraging and challenging. Where can people find uh, both growing with as well as some of your other work? Yeah, well, I'd probably point parents to our growingwithbook.com website. So growingwithbook.com for parents. And then for leaders in general, I'd point them to fulleryouthinstitute.org, where we have a host of different resources that you can find that fit your context, that fit your needs, and that fit your questions. That's awesome. Kara, thank you so much for your time and your work. And uh, what we do at the Regeneration Project, I think, is just like so in line with the work you're trying to do, trying to help new generations, younger generations capture a vision for God's love for them and what Jesus might be up to in their lives and um, in the world. And uh, so, yeah, your work is incredibly influential. And people who are listening, if they haven't checked out your work, I would highly recommend um, going online and and looking at all of it. Thank you again for your work and uh, your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And I want to thank you personally for, as we're the longer in ministry, seeing someone like yourself faithful mm-hmm. for all these years, uh, you know, continuing as a parent, you know, and just what you're doing. I'm just whenever I think of like, and I say this very respectfully, like you know, heroes of faith. Mm-hmm. I see that you have stuck with it, and I'm so excited mm-hmm. to see youth specialties kind of getting revived again. And yeah, in the I think more than ever we need to be not forgetting. Uh, youth and having a focus on it with all the new challenges that are out there. So thank you for staying with it, staying with Jesus, and uh, and I'll see you somewhere. Uh, thanks, Dan. Blessings to you both and blessings to all of your listeners. Take care. Bye.